Welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel, where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the past week. Gotta love quandary? Head to my website, shallonlester.com, to get connected, and also shop my merch and take some fun quizzes. Be sure to rate and review this podcast if you like it, and follow me on Instagram at ShallonXO, and find me on YouTube for four new videos a week. Welcome back to the podcast, Shalloners. Let's do our deep breathing, our relaxation exercise. It's going to get us ready to receive the message. If you place, drop those shoulders down away from our ears, relax our jaw, take our tongue off the roof of our mouth. And we're going to breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. One more time, holding that inhale for a few seconds. In through the nose and out through the mouth. All right. Now, I know that the podcast is a few days late. I am sorry. I was traveling. And yes, that's right. Traveling. What do we talk about here on the channel? right? We talk a lot about fear-based decisions. Not making fear-based decisions, whether it's, I'm just going to marry this person who comes along because I'm afraid that no one else is going to love me. Or I'm going to stay in this dead-end job because I'm afraid to go after the career I really want because it seems scary and what if I fail? And you know goddamn what? I'm not making fear-based decisions and not traveling because of this ridiculous coronavirus panic. I've said this before in videos. I'm going to say it again because now I'm smug and righteous about it. I have been an OG doomsday prepper and germaphobe. You guys have seen me wear my masks on planes literally for years. Everyone laughed. Everyone laughed when I didn't just use Lysol wipes to wipe down my plane seat. No, 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 no. When I had a spray bottle of Clorox with bleach because that kills norovirus too. It's the only thing that does. And I was wiping things down. Everyone laughed when I was stockpiling water and N95 particular respirators at my house. Well, who's laughing now, people? Me. Me. I'm laughing as I get on planes. <laughs> so I just don't believe in stopping what you love to do if you know how to be smart in avoiding the things that you don't want to happen. I mean, for goodness sakes, more people die in car crashes than they are of this ridiculous non-lethal disease. It's just, I can't. It's crazy. So I'm heading off to Australia for a little while and then Bali for like two weeks and then back to Australia and maybe to New Zealand for a little bit. And this is what I realized. Like you guys know, I went through a breakup a few months ago and it was really difficult. It was, I mean, it's still difficult. It's still something that I get teared up about if I talk about it for too long. It's, it's awful. And like I said in the video, you might be over a person, but it takes a lot longer to get over the legacy of the pain, to get over what went wrong, how you contributed to it, what was unfair, you know, what investments yielded no return you know and in a way it's like you feel like you get conned sometimes by a person sometimes by just life and how things turn out and it's been really challenging for me to not wallow and just spiral and stagnate and part of me traveling is me reminding myself why it's beneficial to be on your own. You know, as Janis Joplin says, freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose, right? You know, and <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm free. And I just don't see why I should have to sit in my house spiraling and obsessing when I could do that 
in Bali with a beautiful drink in my hand and chicken satay in the other. So that's what I'm doing. This has nothing to do with the podcast. I just want to get that off my chest and quite frankly brag about how I'm an OG doomsday prepper. Oh, and here's the thing. People with these like panic runs to Costco to buy a billion rolls of toilet paper, I would, I need one of them to connect the dots for me about how a disease is going to result in no toilet paper. It's not a, it's not a GI tract disease. It's a coughing disease. I just, I'm a little confused. And this is the thing. If you're a doomsday prepper, you, you don't just prep for something vague you prep for specific things like every prepper preps for something specific whether it's like something weird like an electromagnetic pulse or a Chernobyl type meltdown or a meteorite I as a New Yorker would prep for terrorist attacks like historically that is the thing New Yorkers have to fear the most right and so I would prep for like if I would be trapped in my office because it's probably going to happen during office hours you know they don't attack you on the weekends they attack you during business hours Or if I was going to be trapped in my apartment. So it's like there's a lot of food. And I'm like, okay, what's going to be happening outside? It's going to be dust and debris in the air. Like September 11th, a lot of people are still dying from September 11th related diseases because they were inhaling that debris. That's why I have gas masks. That's why I have N95 particular respirators. That's why I have bolt cutters so that I can cut like a bike off its lock and escape to an extraction point that I have in New Jersey where people can pick me up, they have maps, they have everything. So my point is, if you're going to prep, prep for something specific and sit and mind map what you might need in this outcome and Google it. There's a billion preppers for a billion weird things. Surely there's one for disease. You know, there's probably a million message boards and Reddit threads. So if you're really that scared, prep like in a useful way. Don't just be super terrified and be sheep about it because I just think it's it's so silly. Just wash your goddamn hands. Why is everyone acting like we've never washed our hands before? Again, I'm an OG germaphobe. You guys know this. I've been washing my hands. I've been sanitizing my phone multiple times a day from the jump. Okay, so let's talk about relationships. Sorry. I just feel like it's all over my Instagram feed and I'm like, well, you know what? You people want to talk about it? Let's talk. But let's talk about something different right now right? Let's talk about a young lady named Leah who has a problem with (laughs) a friends with benefits. I mean, don't we all? So she said, hi, Shallon. I've been seeing this guy for six months now. And since the second month, he said he didn't want a relationship. So we stayed as a no label or friends with benefit thing. However, he started acting like he's my boyfriend. And then he panics and then distances himself. And then again, when I talked to him, he started acting better. His first ever relationship ended this summer and she cheated on him, so I believe he hasn't healed yet. He's also really busy with finding a job and managing his current one. I know the best thing is to walk away. I know that. But we have a great connection and I really like him and he's a good, loyal guy. Please help me. So what stood out to me in this message is you spent 200 words telling me how this guy messes with your emotions, he strings you along, he treats you like a possession, that he can take off the shelf whenever he wants to, he has a million excuses, blah, 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 he's too busy, even though too busy is not a thing when a guy likes someone. And then you close by saying, oh, but he's a really good and loyal person. Uh, to who, girl? Not to you. The problem is not this guy. The problem is how you are defining words like loyal. And I get it. Like, I am saying this from my own point of view and my own experience. I've been there. And you know what? I'll probably be there again. Let's be honest. All of us have. But what it boils down to is what I always say. We know what's wrong with him. 
He's not committing. He's flat out lying to you about, oh, I've got a broken heart and I'm busy and this. He just doesn't like you enough, right? We know what's wrong with him, but what's wrong with you? What is it you're telling yourself to keep someone who is so blatantly disrespectful in your life? And the issue is not that you're being disrespected. The issue is you've normalized this behavior to the point that you don't even see it disrespectfully. This isn't disrespectful to you. This is tolerable. So you can't ask, why is he doing this? Why are you letting him? No shit he's doing this. Everyone would treat other people like this if it was acceptable, right? Everyone would dance in and out of someone's life when it was convenient. Oh, and then they love me and they give me attention. Oh, but now I'm tired and I'm bored and I'm busy and I'm not over my ex. Bye. Like, that sounds great. It do- right? That sounds incredible. Who doesn't want to do that? But we don't let people do this, right? I remember one of my gay friends, he's like, gay men are animals because there's no women to police them. Like, you see how men act when there aren't women putting up these boundaries of being like, uh, no, you can't just tap your foot in the bathroom stall next to me and I'll suck your dick. I mean, who knows? Obviously not all gay men do that. But it was an interesting argument. It's like, hmm, how much of behavior is innate and how much of it is like, what is it nature versus nurture? Like if we stop, if we say this isn't acceptable, does that behavior change? Like were people sending drawings of their penis in like 1910 to the women that they liked? Probably not. But now that there's Snapchat, That's exactly what people are doing. And they're doing it because we respond to it. They're doing it because we write back. Because, oh, we go over and we suck that penis that they sent us a picture of. Oh, okay. That's a nice preview. Thank you. We're not like, is that a child's penis? What did you send me this for? Is this child porn? Don't send me this. No, it's not. That's my dick. That's a child's penis. Chad, you're disgusting. I'm reporting this. If we started responding like that, ladies, things would change, right? So if you look around at your other relationships and dynamics in your life, you will see this pattern. You'll see it play out other places. Is this how your dad treats your mom? No, no, probably your dad isn't like booty calling your mother, but maybe he's just kind of treating her with indifference until he wants something from her. Maybe he's loyal and good and sweet when it suits him. When he's got to perform in front of his coworkers, or there's a happy occasion or it's Christmas or he's drunk or whatever, you know, maybe this is how your brother treats you. Maybe this is how your mom treats you. Maybe this is how your friends behave towards you. Very rarely do we have a problem with just one person in our life. Usually that person is a symptom of a larger relationship. I'm sorry, a larger pattern. And, I mean, yeah, a larger relationship, usually. Because we turn we turn the anger towards what seems manageable. When we have an issue with our parents, it's like, hmm, that seems, our, our psyche is like, okay, well, that seems like a horrible quagmire to wade into. So instead of dealing with my issues with my mom or my dad, I'm going to localize on this fuck boy because he's sort of like a baby version of that. And that seems a lot more manageable, right? That's, I get a better social payout, like crying over a dude at brunch than crying over like my daddy issues. That's fucking weird. So I'm going to do that and hope that that turns out a little bit better, right? We date people who remind us of a difficult situation. We date people who are familiar because we, on some level, we try to do it over Whatever that dynamic is, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's a past trauma, we try to do it right. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna date this person who reminds me of something bad because now I'm gonna fix it. Cause look, this guy knows you like him. We are not slick when we like someone. And we're certainly not slick when we're letting a dude come over, fuck us, and fuck us emotionally, like whenever he wants to, and then dip out. So he knows you like him. He probably assumes you're flat out in love with him, actually. And he weaponizes that for his own needs. He has absolutely no intention of being your boyfriend, girl. None. If a guy wants you, he comes correct. He makes absolutely no room for error on how you view him. He doesn't want to be put in the booty category if he likes you. Like, we all think that, like, guys are, like, so different. When they like a girl, they, they have the same thought process as when we like them. I don't want to just be seen as a slutty, trashy party girl. I want him to look at me as the good girl, the one that he can take home to mom. Yeah, girl, that's what he thinks too if he likes you in the right way. That's what he thinks too if he's a quality dude. He doesn't want to risk being in that category, right? And the fact that he has been very firm about not wanting this, I mean, it says it all. We always look for question marks where God has put a period. Not even God, where he has put a period, where this dude has put a period. It's like, mm, okay, but do you think maybe, no, it wasn't a question. It was an answer. It was a statement, right? And it's painful to look at that. <laughs> I know, but we have to because people like this are just going to string us along and waste our time as long as we let them. Because like I always say, this situation works great for him, right? He can compartmentalize you, use you like a possession. And when he feels you slipping away, all it takes is a sweet text or some cuddling and maybe maybe we have sex, maybe not, and some false hope and you come running like a puppy. And what do you get out of this? Hope? I don't think you feel very hopeful right now. You don't sound hopeful. Hope is a happy feeling, right? Hope isn't this morose, self-hating, anxious, nightmare scenario. I think if you're mad, you know, it's because you're ashamed of yourself because that's how I felt in these situations when it happened to me over and over and over again. I felt hysterical. I felt manic and out of control. And that is the opposite of how love should feel. And when you feel that way with a person, it doesn't get better. It doesn't. This isn't the natural progression of a relationship. And when we talked about normalizing the word loyalty or this behavior and calling it loyalty, we also, and this happens this happened until I had a healthy relationship. It's like you didn't know how lost you were until you were found. But like I can tell you from the other side, this is not how it goes. This is not how it should go. I don't know any happily dating couple, any happily married couple who started this way, right? This isn't the progression where you have to feel really shitty and really miserable and really confused for months, not just like days and, oh, is he going to call me? Is he busy? Months, if not years. But then, oh my gosh, there's this magical pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There's an engagement. There's a this. This isn't the fucking bachelor. And those relationships don't even work anyway. That is not how it goes. It literally never happens. No healthy relationship starts with pain. 
questions from Shayna. And she has a really good question about work and dynamics and relationships. So she said, I started at a new consultancy company as a second year because my previous one just really wasn't working out. And I landed this one through my first boss who spoke to the managing director. And as a result, I feel like my connections got me this position and I'm kind of unsure about my manager's opinion of me. So during my interview, she spoke about fickle millennials often, and I feel that she's being superficially warm to me, and I feel like I can't be genuine around her because I'm afraid. I don't really know what she thinks of me. She's much warmer to other people, including women. How do I win her trust or feel free enough to win the trust of others? Because it's kind of affecting everything. I don't know how my manager feels. I don't know if she trusts me. And so I'm really hesitant to reach out and kind of bond with the other people I work with. How does one succeed under a possible queen bee? Hmm. All right. So first of all, don't sell yourself short, girl. Connections will get you an introduction, sure, but they don't get you the job. I've hired a lot of people. And when it comes to bringing someone on board who's going to make my life easier and perform well... Dude, I don't give a fuck if they know my best friend or even my mom. I need to hire someone who's going to be the best at the job, point blank, period. So that's why they hired you. And don't be bothered by the millennial talk, honestly. I don't know when people are going to understand that millennial literally means anyone under 40, which is most people in the workforce. It's not like people under 40 are like, baby children, hello? We're not. So don't really like pay that any attention. Old people always gripe about younger people. I was actually reading a passage from Plato the other day, Plato, like the philosopher, where he was complaining about the younger generation. So this is just how it goes. It's funny that, you know, Plato's like, oh, these young people, they're so headstrong and crazy and entitled. Sound familiar? But I do think you're making a mistake and you're getting tripped up mistaking work for friendship. And this is something to happen, that happens to women a lot because we are hardwired and taught by society that everyone needs to like us. But at work, that is not the case. It was a really long time ago, and I'll, I literally remember the day that I let go of the idea that people at work need to be my friend. I want them to be. Of course, I want to get along with everyone. Obviously, you spend so much of your time there. But I want to be respected and valued for my work rather than for my friendship, right? When I need something at work, I'm asking for it not as a a personal favor to me. I'm asking as a boss or an employee or whatever, right? That's the construct. And that is how your boss is viewing you, a worker and a producer, not a best friend. And that should make you kind of happy because it frees you from this requirement of having to be warm and fuzzy with her. You don't need to. That's not what she's there to do. And that's not what you are there to do either. You're there to advance, make your money, and feel self-actualized, right? That's why it's important we have friends outside of work. So you can leave work behind and not try to get all of your social needs met in one place. I, I think every workplace has someone who has like nothing besides the job, right? And they're the worst people to work with because they take everything so personally. You can't give them any feedback. Oh, they're crying in the bathroom. You can't be like, hey, This report is late. It's a fiasco. It's kind of like living with roommates versus friends. And it's it's counterintuitive because just like at the workplace, you think, oh, well, of course I want to live with my friends. That's so much fun. Of course I want to be best friends with my coworkers. But it inhibits the natural dynamic. Like when you live with your friends, a fight about peanut butter can ruin the friendship forever. I mean, it'll be five years. And it's like, I remember that bitch and that chunky peanut. I remember what she did. And same with work. It's like, you can't have that overlap. You really have to do, you, you have to keep church and state separate, so to speak, right? Because the bottom line is, if you are good at your job 
you're reliable and you're effective and you're a fair communicator, people are going to like you. They might not be like a bridesmaid your wedding, but who cares? I don't care how fun someone is at work. If they're bad at their job, I don't like them. I don't respect them because they make my job harder. And now their problems are my problems. And now we got problems. So don't focus on the socialization aspect of things and how your boss emotionally feels about you. Focus on what you're producing. Ironically, the less you focus on those interpersonal relationships and the more you focus on being an effective worker, the more people are going to like you. That's going to create trust for employees and coworkers and actually make you bond. This next question comes from Chloe, and she's having an issue with some mama drama, right? I mean, my God, don't we all? And of course, boundaries. So she said, over Christmas, my mom got really ill. She's always been a bit of a drinker, and her illness wasn't directly related, but it was definitely highlighted by the doctors as a problem and something she needs to cut back on, which she did for a while. And now it keeps creeping back in, despite me telling her how worried I am and how important it is for her to stay healthy. I just feel like I've reached the end of my tether and we're not currently speaking because she prioritizes having just one more drink over her health and the guilt is real though that I'm not talking to her. What do I do? She's my best friend and she's the person that I'm closest to. Oh my God, this is so tough. This is so tough because like it would be easier if you hated her, right? It'd be easier. It's like, I never liked her anyway. We were never close, but it's like, what do you do when the person you love the most is the person who's kind of making you the most miserable? And but like, isn't always that way, right? But I think you are absolutely doing the right thing. Absolutely. People like her, any kind of addict, they only engage in those behaviors because they work. Now, obviously, from my point of view and for yours, it doesn't work. I mean, it makes them unhappy. It makes you sad. It makes you sick. It fractures your relationships, blah, 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 blah. But when you look at it in terms of functionality, well, yeah, She gets to do whatever she wants and everyone just sticks around. So to them, that's positive reinforcement for a negative behavior. So when you stop giving that reinforcement, when you stop answering the phone calls, when you stop doing her grocery shopping or driving her around, her behavior will be forced to change. This is literally the definition of tough love. And I learned that it's not called that because it's tough on the other person It's tough on the person putting up the boundaries. It's tough on you, girl. And you know what I say about boundaries, though? The people who get mad at your boundaries are the people who benefited from you having none at all. And very, very often, that's family, right? And family guilt is like, there is no greater guilt. There's no greater guilt than it's like, you're not there for me and you don't love me. It's one thing to hear that from a dude named, you know, Brian or whatever. You you hear that from your mom and it's like, oh my God, like I'm a monster. I'm a monster. You're not a monster. You know, it's time that you put up those boundaries, not only to impel her to change, but also for yourself. Because the reality is, girl, she might not change. She might not. She might not want to or whatever. She might want to. I don't know. But that doesn't mean you have to be in the front row being tortured by this and held hostage emotionally. You have the divine animal right to protect your peace of mind and actually Some boundaries in your relationship are going to be helpful. You won't feel resentful and out of control and manipulated. And I know you feel like you want to retreat and give in to her, but actually you need to do the opposite. You need to double down on these boundaries. Make her a literal list and say, hey, this this is the deal. If you do X, 
my response is why. If you have a drink, I'm not calling you. If you have a drink, I'm not taking you to the doctor. If you have a drink, I don't want to hear that you don't feel good. Or whatever, you have to, it's up to you to set those boundaries. But I believe in, in letting people know the deal. Just like you can see a fence around a property, I want people to know and see and be aware of and acknowledge my boundaries. Because then if they breach them, I can say, hey, don't tell me you weren't aware of them. I, I wrote them down on a piece of paper for you. I slid it across the table. You were aware. And so now I need to know why you breached these boundaries. Are you testing me? Did you think I was bluffing? Do you simply not care that I have needs of my own? I want an answer. And you wait for that answer, right? Put people on the spot. Because what they're doing, they are calling a bluff. She doesn't mean it. I can manipulate her. I can just say what I need to say and get my way. And these are micro calculations going on inside someone's mind, especially an addict. They want what they want and nothing else matters. And you just got to let them know, honey, I'm not the one. I'm not the one. And you can get mad and you can rage and you can throw all of these mean insults at my my face. And maybe, Chloe, maybe she's never going to change. But you have to look yourself in the eye and say, I won't live like this. Now I can see her choices belong to her. And that's hurtful. That's heavy, right? To think that, wow. My mom might actually choose alcohol over me. That's horrifying. Who wants that? Who wants that? But when you have a diagnosis, you can have a treatment, right? When you are walking in the light of the truth about, hey, my mom's not a little bit of a drinker. She's a full-blown fucking alcoholic. Then you can stop kidding yourself about these little half measures and, you know, conversations. They're going to fix it. You're like, you actually need rehab. You need a 12-step program. You need a detox because... I've told you what I need. I've told you my boundaries and you have blown through them. And I don't think you've done it because you're a mean person. And I don't think it's because you don't love me because I know you do. I think it's because this this addiction has you by the throat, honey. And I'm here to help you get out of it. But I'm not here to be a doormat. I'm not here to be an enabler. And if that's what you're looking for, you're going to have to look somewhere else. I'm here to love you. I'm here to see that you have the best life possible and that we have the best relationship possible, right? And you might have to say that a few times. But when you stick to your promises about behavior, it's going to inspire her to stick to hers, right? And you deserve a good relationship with your mom. And stuff like this, boundaries, is how it begins. This next question comes from Katie, and I think it's going to resonate with a lot of you creative chickadees. So she said, I'm 30 and I have basically too many passions and interests, and I spread myself too thin doing all of these different things. I want to be a self-employed powerhouse, focusing all my energy on one thing. I just don't know which one. At five, I wanted to be an author. I wrote poetry and and I wrote a little novel when I was eight and I won awards and I enrolled in journalism, but I dropped it for music. Then I started writing songs and singing, but that didn't work out. Then I've done Etsy for the last five years, but I'm bored and limited with my income. Now I'm considering a New York City voice acting school for doing voiceovers, but I don't want to miss what I meant to do in life. I'm also working on another novel. And then I thought about doing a travel blog for like kid-free women. I don't know what to do. I want to work hard on one thing and have a fun, fulfilling, creative career, but I don't even know where to begin. Girl, yeah, okay. That's a lot of things, right? 
I understand what you're going through and I think every creative person does. And this is truly the downside of being creative because you really are good at a lot of different things and do a lot of things because they seem appealing, you know? But you have to work backwards. What do you want out of your life? Do you want a house and a family? Do you want to be some kind of bohemian and travel around all the time? Do you want to change the world? Do you want financial security? So forecast your life 10 years in the future and, and analyze what it's going to look like. And then you can start to work backwards. Then you can see which things probably aren't going to get you there. If Etsy is boring to you now, then it's not going to be sustainable in the long term, even though it has upsides like you can maybe do it from a lot of different locations and you're your own boss. Look at the realities of different job paths, not just in terms of what your interest is in them, but where they can get you. How feasible are they? Do your research about how a travel blogger might make money. How likely is it for you to get booked doing voiceover work? Stuff like that, right? But at the end of the day, you are going to have to pick one thing and stick with it. So yeah, you're probably good at a lot of things, but you're also pretty bad at follow through, it sounds like. And maybe you're just kind of good at a lot of things. Maybe you're not really good at any one of these things, but you don't know because you haven't stuck with it, right? We can't live our lives like a raccoon, just shifting and lurching to the next shiny thing that we see. And you'll be less likely to do that if your goal is part of a larger plan for your life. And it's building towards something you want more than a momentary distraction or stimulation, like a house or a corner office or a book deal or whatever that might be. There's no right or wrong answer. That's the good side and the bad side, right? It's just a matter of authenticity and reality, you know? So sit down and really give yourself time to think about what is realistic logistically and what would make you feel both happy in the short term and most importantly in the long term. And then stick with it. Commit for two years. Yes, that sounds like a long time. It is a long time. That's how long it takes to sink your teeth into a new career. This is, this is true. So pick something and go with it. And don't just give it up when the going gets tough and you tell yourself, well, there's just so many things I'm good at. Honey, you could be great at a million things. It's not going to matter if you don't have the grit to stick with it and so that it pays off into a career, right? This is what it's about. It's not being successful, I've realized, almost isn't about talent. It's about grit. Grit means you don't give up. You get knocked down, you get back up again. The going gets tough, you get tougher, right? You stick it out through the boring middle. It's fun when you set a goal. It's fun when you announce it. And it's great when you reach it. But it's the sticky, bland middle, the doldrums, that you're like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. I want the novelty and the freshness and the excitement and the attention and the validation of starting something brand new, right? Oh, that sounds better. Yeah, yeah. We're just, we're just going to scrap this and we're going to start over. No, the fuck you're not. No, you're not. You're gonna stick with it. Make a commitment to yourself. That's how you feel good about yourself. You wanna feel like a powerhouse? That's how you do it. Not by achieving the book deal or whatever. I've done these things. I've had book deals, a TV show. It's And yes, of course those things made me happy, but what made me happier is knowing that I didn't give up. Knowing that I persevered when someone told me that I couldn't. When it was boring, when it was hard, when I was missing fun things to stay home and edit or film or do whatever it was. That is the feeling of accomplishment and being a powerhouse. So pick something and stick with a girl and you check back with the Chalantourage in two years. We'll be with you.
Well, that's it for this episode of Girl on Top. Thanks for being part of the Shalantourage. If you have a love question you need some help with, find me on my website, shallonlester.com, and be sure to connect with me on Instagram at shallonxo and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Stay sweet, stay savage. Stay savage.